You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Turn our hearts to your ways and not to selfish Grace and peace and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. As I busy myself with preparations to move to Minnesota at the end of the summer, I find myself feeling rather nostalgic about my time at House for All Sinners and Saints. And this week, two memories have been swimming to the forefront of my mind. The first one was about a little less than four years ago, and it was my first Welcome to House for All Sinners and Saints lunch at Amy Clifford's house. And uh, it was a lot of really good food and a, a much smaller group of people. And it was a little strange to be in this group that kind of knew each other very well and to be the stranger among them. All the couches and chairs were set up in a circle, and... I was kind of standing on the edge of that circle with my plate full of food, not really knowing if I could enter the circle or not. And Tracy, from across the room, flags me down and invites me to come and sit in the chair next to her. And that was how I made my first friend at, at House Roll. The second memory, two weeks ago yesterday, in this very room, we drank champagne and ate chocolate-covered everything and tore it up on the dance floor to celebrate the resurrection. We retold our ancient stories. We listened to beautiful chants. We witnessed the baptisms of little Willa and Emmanuel. And we finally sang the alleluias that we had been holding back for two months. And I don't know about you, but my heart was so full of joy and contentment that night that I thought it might burst. And I can't think of a single thing that would have wiped the smile off my face during our Easter vigil. Today, our observance of Easter continues with the story of two disciples on the road. They were traveling to Emmaus, having left their community of fellow followers of Jesus behind them in Jerusalem. The text doesn't really detail what they were doing or what was waiting for them in Emmaus, but I wonder if they weren't either hightailing it out of Jerusalem for their own safety or going back to whatever life they had before they had met Jesus. I'm guessing they were thinking that it was probably best just to, to move on. After all, the jig was up. Their rabbi was dead, and any hope that they had of changing the world was now gone. And you can hear that hopelessness as they tell the stranger on the road about what has happened in the preceding days. Speaking about Jesus, they say, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. That's gut-wrenching. They had hoped that following Jesus would somehow have made their lives better. They had hoped that the past three years would have counted for something. They had hoped that somehow they would no longer be living under the crushing oppression of Rome. They had hoped that this story might have a different ending. But now here they are on the road. And what difference has all of their hoping made? We are 15 days into the celebration of Easter. 
and the lilies are either drooping or dead. The chocolate bunnies have long since been decapitated. And the joy overflowing that I felt two weeks ago is all but forgotten. Easter seemed to bring with it such excitement. There were flowers and candles and killer dance moves. And there was hope and good news and the promise of new life. But Easter has come and gone. And though it's a lovely memory, I find myself wondering what difference it's made. What did it all mean? Did it count for something? It's hard to tell. Because you see, we had hoped that the good news of Easter might change the world we live in. We had hoped Easter might mean that we no longer lived in a world where 276 Nigerian schoolgirls could be kidnapped and forced to marry their captors, or where teenage mothers would, wouldn't be killed by the fathers of their children. We had hoped that Easter might mean that no high school student would ever feel such desperation that he would choose to end his life by setting himself on fire in the school cafeteria, or that senseless violence would no longer tear families apart and leave children with a dead parent. We had such high hopes, but it turns out that the world is still full of despair and hopelessness and unspeakable tragedy. So we find ourselves, much like the disciples did that day, reluctantly moving on, trying to make sense of what has happened, questioning whether or not it made any difference. But that's where Jesus meets them, in the midst of all that uncertainty and desperation. And this is not the Palm Sunday conquering King Jesus that they had been hoping for or maybe expected. It's Jesus of the cross. It's the Jesus who has experienced pain and loss and suffering, the very worst that humanity has to offer. And he comes offering the promise, not that everything will go their way and that their lives will be easy, but the promise that whatever comes, they won't be alone. I think one of the greatest lies perpetuated by certain strains of Christianity is that if you believe in Jesus, life will be easy without difficulty or hardship, that the people of God are perpetually happy and blessed with perfect circumstances. But Easter isn't Prozac. The promise of Easter isn't enduring bliss. It's that there is nowhere you can go that God will not be with you. It is not a promise of an overflowing banquet. It's the promise of daily bread, of manna in the wilderness. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after they had journeyed out of Egypt, they were in need of food. God provided them with manna each day. It wasn't a feast, but it was enough to meet their needs. God promises us enough. Our Easter stories are evidence of this. Jesus shows up and gives people what they need most. After the crucifixion, Mary Magdalene was a woman without identity. Her whole life had been about following Jesus, and I wonder if she really even knew who she was anymore. And the point at which she recognized Jesus is when he calls her name. Thomas was a pragmatist and a realist. Jesus knew that he was going to need evidence, so he invites him to literally put his fingers in the wounds in his hands and his side. Cleopas and his companion were now removed from the community that they had been a part of for the last three years, and Jesus sits down to a meal with them as a friend. 
Jesus reveals himself to these people when they are steeped in despair and doubt and hopelessness and gives them an experience of holy presence. The promise of Easter is that God is present to us. Whether in the flowers that got delivered to your office to provide some encouragement, or the meals cooked for new parents, or the friend who just sits with you in the midst of your hot mess, God is present. In the Facebook threads that convey our prayers for one another, and in this table that calls us together, God is present. When Tracy invited me to sit next to her those years ago, what she didn't know was that I had walked into this community carrying the heavy burden of depression. And her kindness and her friendship were the first spark of hope that I had had for a very long while. Her invitation was not the end of my trouble, but it did give me a foothold and a grounding in this place. And it was the love and grace of this place that allowed me to get better. Brokenness is our reality. Violence and pain and suffering are the inescapable result of living in an imperfect world. It isn't fair, and it isn't all part of God's mysterious plan. It's just reality. But we have to remember that it's not the only reality. There is much in the world that is beautiful and bold and inspiring, and that beauty is holy and sacred. It is what we need if we're going to continue to be people of hope in a world that often feels hopeless. These moments of beauty, the ones where we have an honest encounter with the divine, however brief, may not be life-changing, but they are life-sustaining. They get us from one day to the next. They give us hope. Jesus meets us in the middle of the road so he can walk with us, so that he can restore our hope. And that may not feel like a lot, but it is enough. Amen. If these sermons are meaningful for you, we invite you to support the congregation, and you can do that at houseforall.org. There's a PayPal button there. Also, we'd love for you to come and join us for liturgy. We meet at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Sundays at 2201 Dexter in Denver. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. For peace from above and for our salvation. Lord,